Welcome to Your Business, Your Life with Matt DeFrancesco, your personal financial technician. Whether you've had years of success in your business or just starting out, Highlift Financial can help you create a vision for your business, life, and family, and align these for generational wealth. As they say, what happens in your life affects your business. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Your Business, Your Life with your host, me, Matt Francesco. And, you know, as we kind of work through this whole exit planning that we've been talking about, or actually I like to call it more transition planning, I had the opportunity to be out at a conference in Denver through the uh, Business Enterprise Institute, which basically focuses on exit and transition planning for business owners. And I had the opportunity to meet my guest today, and I, I was really excited about it because he actually, he has experience in the collision industry and has done, has worked with a number of shops and spoken at many industries. So I'm really excited to have him in to talk about some of the ideas that he's used to help business owners raise value in their business. So his name's Stuart Sorkin. He's an entrepreneur, CPA, attorney, and he's the founder of the Business and Legal Advisors, which is a business consulting firm that specializes in designing and implementing strategic and business plans for startups, small to mid-sized businesses. He's got 40 years of experience in doing this, and his unique background allows him to assist owners and executives in overcoming a lot of the complex obstacles they have regarding, you know, incorporating their personal and financial goals and putting in appropriate growth and exit strategies for their business. Stewart's also the co-author of the book, Expensive Mistakes When Buying and Selling Companies and How to Avoid Them in the Deal, which I do have sitting back on my shelf. I haven't had a chance to uh, pick that up yet, Stuart, but I'm looking forward to getting into that. And he's a frequent lecturer on exit strategies, estate planning, and asset protection to various professionals small business organizations. And like I said, he's talked to many in the collision industry. So we're excited about that. So, and I think just with your background on being both an attorney and a CPA and being an entrepreneur, I think you're going to provide a tremendous amount of value. So Stuart, I'm excited to have you on and welcome to your business, your life. Thank you. Thank so. you. Oh, you're welcome. So, you know, I, I kind of mentioned, I, I, I really just kind of highlighted the bio because I want to give you more time than me re <laughs> reading through uh, all your list of accomplishments, which there are many, but we know you have 40 years of experience. But when I was at the conference and I was sitting at your talk, the thing that intrigued me was you mentioned, oh, I've done work with body shops. And I'm like, I haven't really found an attorney and a CPA that has done that much work in that specific industry. So I wanted to ask you, how did you get involved in planning with auto? Motive collision shops? Well, like a lot of things in life, an accident. Right. Someone I someone rear-ended my car and I was waiting for them to do the final detailing and the pickup. And I started talking to the owner mm. who at that time had an IRS tax problem. Ooh. I ended up helping him solve that problem. And that body shop then went through a dispute between shareholders that I helped resolve. And eventually the owner wanted to transfer his business to his son. Okay. He did a successful transition from father to son. But after running the shops for a couple of years, the son decided he liked more challenge of not being with one business. And he became a consultant in the auto body industry and he runs 20 groups. And I have been doing presentations for his 20 groups for several other consultants in 20 groups. I presented to Sherwin-Williams customers and fixed auto franchisees, as well as presenting at MACE on various aspects of mergers and acquisitions, planning, 
employee retention, growth, and acquisition planning for businesses. On the transactional side, I have been worked with body shops and deals with Caliber, Gerber, Joe Hudson, Crash Champions, and a lot of transition planning between various single body shops and growth body shops. Okay. I mean, it's so it sounds like you've done a variety, both kind of the internal transfers, the third party, and then even to the big consolidators. Correct. Yeah. No, I think, and I think that's great. And I think that variety of experience really helps because, you know, the one thing I'm learning as we're helping these clients in the, in the uh, collision industry is that a lot of times they think there might be only one option for them. And, you know, I think it's nice to have somebody who has experience in a lot of different areas because then it can help them to maybe identify some of those value-based goals where, you know, maybe they were originally thinking, I just need to get out. I'm going to sell to a consolidator. But all of a sudden they find out that, hey, you know what? I like being a staple in the community. Boy, I would like to create a family legacy. So having somebody that can kind of give them, you know, been on both sides of the uh, table can give them a good feel for what might be the best options for them. Yes, and I do want to say that in this industry, because of the consolidators, mm-hmm. I am telling clients today that you really have three choices right now. Okay. Sell now because you're getting you get the best price because the consolidators are still fighting for market. Right. Two, grow in order to build yourself a geographical region that is going to make you more attractive to a consolidator. Right. Or three, probably understand that your business is going to become a lifestyle business. Nothing wrong with that. Right. But the fact is, there are going to be that once the consolidators come into a market and they have their foothold, they're not going to be paying the kind of premiums they're paying today to get into markets. And you're then going to be competing with these larger shops. Right. Employees and everything else. So I think you need to really consider where you want to be over the next three to five years. Yeah. Explain that term lifestyle practice or lifestyle shop. I know what it means on my on my end, but I'm not sure if the audience is, is real clear on that. Okay. A lifestyle business is one that will produce a nice income for the owner, potentially okay. income for the family, but it really has limited transferability. It is probably only transferable to either a management team or employees. It is not going to be one, it is not a business that's really set up to be multiplied to grow. Right. Okay. I get it. Okay. And that's good. And and I think there's some shops out there that are like that. I mean, I know even in the financial service industry, I have peers of mine that want to build big enterprises and bring in multiple advisors, things like that. And then there's people like me who like to have a lifestyle practice that, you know, kind of builds my life around my business. And then if I want to bring on some other people, they'll be independent, but just kind of under the fold there. So yeah, I can see the need for both. So definitely. So we were talking, one of the things that we talked about, I I found some of your solutions fascinating. We know in the industry, probably the biggest challenge, at least shop owners are talking about is this, the talent shortage. They're having trouble trying to find talent. And so I wanted you to explain, because I know you've worked with some shops about setting up different types of programs to help to attract talent. But I think we also need to look at how to retain the good talent that they have. So I wanted you to kind of address both those areas and talk about some of the things that you do and the strategies you've helped them to implement to overcome that challenge. Okay. One thing that I've talked to is getting key employees at the start. The idea of finding local vocational schools, Mm -hmm. community colleges, 
that offer programs in automotive repair mm-hmm. and making him becoming potentially a place where they can do have in paid internships or unpaid internships. Okay. This gives you an into the school, allows you to potentially try potential employees at minimal cost to see how if they work. Mm-hmm. If you are also taking on their graduates, you may also get a preference that they say, hey, we got this real good guy that you really should consider. So it builds up a relationship in one of the ways where people are coming out of the industry and don't necessarily have a job yet. Right. So this is a way to grab someone early. Mm-hmm. With regard, right today, one of the main ways that a lot of body shops add value is manufacturer certifications. Right. If you are going to get manufacturers certified, you are going to probably spend tens of thousands of dollars potentially on several pieces of equipment that mm-hmm. can only be run by a manufacturerly trained employee. Right. And if that employee is trained and then leaves without any real notice, you're sitting with this machine that can't be used. Right. So one of the ways that one of the things that I have done with some of my clients is the concept of having the employee sign a training bonus agreement, okay. which says that the employer in out-of-pocket costs, vacation time, training time, everything else is going to spend X thousands of dollars to train you. Okay. If you leave the employee of the company within a fixed period of time and go to work for a competitor within a certain geographical area, you will be required to reimburse a portion of those training costs back to the employer because the employer has added value to you. It's giving you a new skill. And we're saying if you don't stay a certain period of time, then you got this skill and you should pay the company back for it. Right. On the other side of the coin is that if the employee has stayed for this restricted period, the idea of giving that employee a bonus because you haven't had to pay those training costs for a number of years. Right. That bonus could be paid out immediately over time. But the concept here is you're rewarding them for staying, you're aligning your goals. And the other point, though, you'll say to them is, if it takes, let's say, three weeks to get someone trained, if they leave with less than three weeks notice, they reimburse you for the entire training cost. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So the point is, this way, you aren't sitting within a machine that isn't used and trained without training. Looking at also, you know, aligning your looking at profit sharing bonuses, looking at potentially having medical reimbursement plans to cover non-covered medical expenses. Okay. Ways that I've seen clients look at equity ownership, some look at phantom equity ownership. There are different reasons where you would use different, but the idea of aligning your employees' goals with the founder's goals is key. Okay. I think, yeah, no, that would make complete sense. So, you know, it was one thing you you mentioned about some other like medical reimbursement. And I had a guest on a few weeks ago and we were talking about younger people. We were talking millennials, Gen Y, and which and both of us agreed. I think they get a bad rap 
in many ways that I think a lot of it is us baby boomers don't understand how they think. And they're not always motivated just specifically by money. They may be motivated by flexible hours, by um, more vacation time, those type of things. So are those kind of things that you're building into these type of incentives? You could have some clients like the cafeteria plans where you could use pre-tax dollars for education or pre-tax dollars for medical. Okay. So those types of benefits and the one issue, and we're going to, I know we're going to talk a little bit in a few minutes about S versus C Correct. issues is that a C Corp can offer the same benefits to an owner that they're offering to the employees, which within an S Corp, a lot of those benefits are prohibited to the owner employees. Gotcha. And gotcha. Med- medical reimbursement plans is one of those as an example. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Because I think, you know, at least in my circles, you know, most of these shop owners are usually subchapter S, you know, have an LLC file a subchapter S. And I'm not sure that their CPAs maybe really understand, you know, the pros and cons of being an S versus a C. And I think that's a good topic. And that's a very good lead into another topic I wanted to ask you about. What are the benefits of being a C Corp where, you know, this differentiation, why would they want to, if they're an S convert to a C? Okay. Well, let me say this. This is not a panacea, but I'm going to say to you that any company that has not looked at whether or not they should stay an S-Corp or become a C-Corp since the 2017 Tax Act is potentially missing major opportunities. Okay. And and let's start with the first issue is, is this, that if you are trying to grow your company, one of the most important things is to have additional net after-tax cash to reinvest in your business. Right. Today, with a C-corporation, you have a federal tax rate of 21% and deductible state income taxes, which means their consolidated after-tax rate is around 25% in taxes, 75% to be reimbursed. Right. If you are working, if you are an LLC or an S-Corp, you are facing a 37% tax rate and non-deductible income, state income taxes. So your reinvestment is now closer to 60% or less. Right. So if you were trying to grow money in your company, wouldn't you rather do it with larger after-tax dollars? Some people will say, well, what about the qualified business income deduction, which was put in for S's and C's? And the issue is first that it still produces a 29.6 effective federal tax rate with QBI, Mm -hmm. as well as still non-deductible state income taxes. So you are still talking about a 7 to 10% tax difference, depending on it. Right. So let's talk about this for a second. If you are going out and incurring debt to grow your business, wouldn't you rather pay it off with cheaper tax dollars? Right. If you are looking at growing your company, you may have a, what happens if you have a senior part, senior member who wants to get out in a couple of years? Wouldn't it be better to accumulate some cash in the company now to facilitate that buyout? Right. So the idea of uh, now, here's another point, is that 
if your shop is doing really, really well and you don't need all of the cash, you could set up a non-qualified deferred. If you are a C-Corp, the founder can set up a non-qualified deferred comp plan, right. which is funded with cheaper tax dollars for their retirement. Right. Add in that the pro biggest problem I have with S-corporations is they only have one class of equity. So if you want to go and handcuff key employees with equity mm -hmm. or you need to bring in investor capital, they don't like, investors don't like S-corporations. They're worried about phantom income and right. they can't get a preference on liquidation, which they're generally going to want. Interesting. Employees, you're not going to want to give them the same stock as you have right. if you have an S-corp. So that's an issue. It's also with an S-corp. The founders have to pick up their health insurance back on their tax return, mm. which you don't have with a C-Corp. Okay. You can do the medical reimbursement plan for the founders. Mm -hmm. You can do non-qualified deferred comp. You can also have a year-end other than 1231. Right. Which means you can do some potential tax planning every year. Right. Another point is that if you are successful and you are an MSO and you're growing this thing and you've now beyond what your needs are and you're building intergenerational wealth, potentially, C-stock is far better to be transferred in for estate planning purposes to next gen right. than S-Corp because you can accumulate more because a trust gets the same favorable tax capital gains treatment as individuals, which means that any dividends that come out will come out at 15%, any sales proceeds will come out versus an S or an LLC where the trust is going to pay a significantly higher tax rate on that individual income. Right. So these are some reasons also things to consider is banks tend to like lending to C-Corps versus S-Corps because okay. they don't worry as much about individual sides as and corporate side issues. Right. And in today's society, with the potential of significantly more IRS agents, small C-Corps are probably less likely to get audited than S-Corps or LLCs. Right. Isn't so for these reasons... As I said, it's not for everyone. If you're not in the maximum tax bracket, if you're not meeting a lot of capital to grow your business, then you know staying in LLC or an S corp it may make the most sense. But if you are in a different vehicle, you need to really consider where you are. Right. So, what would be one of the drawbacks of going to becoming a C corp? Well, the two big ones that are always cited is quote one double taxation. Okay. And double taxation means to the extent that you don't pay out income in the company and the founder eventually takes it, it's going to be subject to a dividend. But there, today, double tax is somewhat of a misnomer because if you take 21% federal tax and a 15% capital gains tax, that's 36%. The maximum individual rate is 37 so is there really double tax right now? Okay. But secondly is double tax is a big issue when people didn't have computer programs, et cetera, to be able to track their revenue expenses. 
in my view, is I don't know that I'd represent any company that didn't know by November 30th where they were going to end up at year end. Right. So how much double tax you face is it can be planned for because you can say, hey, I need X thousands of dollars in the company. I have to have taxes. I have to then pay the taxes out of the company. And after that, I'm going to declare a bonus to strip out the remainder. So therefore, you can control the double tax piece. Okay. The harder piece to control somewhat is a sale of the business if it's an asset sale, because then okay. you will potentially face double tax. Uh. However, depending on the nature of the founder, we've been able to shift a tremendous amount of that tax to the individual by having personal goodwill to the owner and having the good role role personally to the owner. Okay rather than necessarily running through the business because it's really the owner who really has the goodwill potential. Right, right. Explain the goodwill, what that okay. means. The idea here is that when you sell a business in an asset sale, mm -hmm. you allocate the purchase price among up to set. There are seven classes of assets the IRS allow. Okay. And the issue is that from a seller standpoint, they want it all in class seven, which is goodwill, which is the difference between the fair market value of all the other assets and what they're paying. Okay. And the goodwill, the founder gets capital gains treatment on. If you're selling assets, then the problem is the extent the assets, the prices are allocated to the assets and you've already depreciated those assets, you're going to generate ordinary income mm -hmm. on the sale. Okay. Okay. I'm with you there. So the, the issue will be is, and I've had several clients that built up their businesses as C-Corps. And when they knew they were going to go towards exit, they converted back. Back to, to S-Corps to avoid the double tax issue. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So you can do that. There are some additional tax consequences to be aware of in when doing that, but it is doable. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned one benefit about having, you know, you don't have to have a calendar fiscal year, which is interesting. And it's it's probably different across the country, but like around here, typically where a lot of the collision shops see the bulk of their business coming in is between pretty much October, mid-September, October through April, May, because again, you know, we have winters, right. deer, actually deer start rutting at this time. So the number of deer hits go up tremendously. And I can see that there would be a benefit. Most maybe body, Most body shops would benefit from some of what, from a March to a June 30th year end. Right. That's what I'm thinking. And, and that's exactly what I was thinking. And, but then every year you have the ability of deciding whether you're going to take your bonus January 1st or December 31st with regard to any employee compensation. Okay. Because it's going to all be within corporations year. Right. But you have still have your 12, the individual still has their 1231 year that they have some flexibility around. Oh, okay. Yeah. I never thought about that one. Yeah. That's interesting. So, for example, if they become a C-Corp, they change their fiscal year, they're going, whatever, March to February or July to June, and then at the end, when they're getting ready to exit, they want to switch to an S. Does that pose any problems? Let's put it this way. There are some issues with regard to what is known as built-in gains of 
that the value of the company that's increased during the C-Corp may generate some ordinary income regardless. Okay. You can't get around it completely. Right. And obviously, you then will have a short year in the year you convert back to a S-Corp because you will still have to have a calendar year when you go back to an S-Corp. So you will have two tax returns potentially within a 12-month right. period to get you there. Right. Okay. I see. I can see where see where you're going with that. So I really see the, the a lot of the benefit with the the C corp is again because of the lower tax rate. You know, our largest expense a lot of times is taxes. So now we have more money to build into the company. And and you know, it's interesting. I think we talk in this exit planning world about building value. And you know, the way you build value, you have to have additional cash to be able to do that. But I'm thinking, you know, to me, there's almost no drawback. To be able to do that, because if you can save in taxes, it's going to give you increased cash flow for either protection, for being able to fund bonuses, fund non-qualified deferred comp. Or acquisition strategy, which is what we're talking about, because the problem is you are going to some portion of the purchase price is not currently deductible. Oh, OK, OK. I Think see. about it. At some portion, you're, whether it's the goodwill that's going to be amortized or you know, you're not going to be able to write off all the equipment in the first year. And having that cash there to repay the debt that you're going to incur. Right. It's cheaper. Okay. That's awesome. the other point is that when you're paying off the debt to, to acquire and grow, you're paying off with cheaper tax dollars. Okay. I see what you're saying. Okay. So really, I mean... If you had a new client, would that be one of the first things that you look at? Uh, tax one of the, well, well here, here's the issue. In my comment is it's the owner's basic dilemma. And that is, does he need all of the cash flow from the business to support his lifestyle? Okay. Or can he reinvest cash in his business to grow it? Mm. If he can re if he decides he can reinvest then in the business without affecting his lifestyle then looking at C versus S makes a lot of sense. If he is just squeaking by paying his lifestyle, right. then he's got a lifestyle business and probably S versus C is not what he should be considering. Gotcha. So it really depends on you know, where you want to take this business and if you can afford to grow. Right, right. And I think that's something all shop owners, especially now, like you said, now's the time if you're looking to sell, you need, you know, I've heard anywhere from this is going to be good for about 18 months to two years, you know, and then yep. all of a sudden the whole, the whole landscape is going to change. So I think these are things you got to kind of look at. And I think it's important to be able to sit down with somebody and be able to identify like what's really important to you and what goals do you have? Because then I always say, I always say 90% of my job is being psychologist and 10% is the financial end because, you know, whether it's, you know, tax strategies, legal strategies, financial strategies, it's like a puzzle. And we just, all we got to do is put the, the piece of the puzzle together. But until you get into that person's head and understand what are their wants, what are their needs, what are their concerns, you're never going to make any progress in getting the pieces of the puzzle together. It's just going to confuse them. Well, and the real issue is that most entrepreneurs spend 99% working of their time working in their business and 1% on. Right. And the goal here is to say, this does not happen without a plan. You need a three to five year plan of where this business is going to go. And if you have partners, you must make sure that the partners have the same aligned goals. 
Right. Because we all know what happens when people row a boat and they're rowing it in different <laughs> directions. Exactly. So if you want to truly grow your business, you have to have consensus among the owners of a three to five year plan. And then you must set goals for your key employees to help you achieve that. Right. And to align their goals with yours. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something a lot of shop owners kind of miss. And I think that's really a big push that I think a lot of us in the industry are trying to get them to start thinking about. So uh, Stuart, we're almost at time here. I, you know, and like I said, you know, Stuart and I were talking, I'm like, man, I'm hoping we, he's got so much knowledge that, I mean, we could, we could go on and on about not just even this subject, but so many others. I mean, with 40 years of experience. So I'd like to have you on again at some time, maybe after the first of the year, and we can maybe even dive, we can dive a little bit more into this, especially as we start to see if any tax law is going to be changing. Yep. You know, I don't think we're going to see much now with the midterm elections coming. But after that, I think you might start seeing stuff after the first of the year. So that might be good to come on and talk about some of the some of the changes that may happen. And then what are some strategies that we can use? I would love to do that. That's great. That's great. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for being on Your Business, Your Life. And the last thanks always goes out to the audience. You know, Thank you for listening to Your Business, Your Life with me, Matty Francesco. If you've not subscribed to the podcast, please click on the subscribe button below. That way, when a new episode comes out, it'll be sure to download onto your device and make it very easy for you to share with your friends and family. And also, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, please give us a like. And on any platform, if you can give us a five-star review, if you like what you're hearing, that would be great because that helps us to move up the charts and to hear from these great guests like Stuart and all the other guests that we've had on. So again, I want to thank you for listening to Your Business, Your Life. We're looking forward to always serving you. If you ever want to reach out and just have a consultation, you can go to my website, highlifefinancial.com and click on the Let's Talk button. I give everybody 20 to 30 minutes of my time. And if you want to speak to Stuart, you can reach out to him. We'll have his information in the show notes, but you can also reach out to me and I'll make sure that I'll put you in touch with Stuart because we work as this as a team effort. That's really what it comes down to. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a CPA. That's Stuart's expertise. He's got 40 years of experience doing that, but we can work together to help you to achieve the things that you want. So feel free to reach out. So anyway, I hope everybody enjoyed the podcast. Let's take care. God bless. And we'll talk to you guys real soon. Hey, I really want to thank you for listening to the Your Business, Your Life podcast. If you want to be notified when new episodes become available, click the subscribe button below. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of High Lift Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment, legal, or tax advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified professional with any questions you may have regarding your business or personal planning. DeFrancesco Financial Concierge, LLC, DBA, High Lift Financial, is a registered investment advisor. Registration with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any state security authority does not imply a certain level of skill or training.